Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's news talk radio, TNT. Good to have your company, our second hour of the program. Well, more than 100 million Americans have been exposed to asbestos. That's an incredible number. It's been banned there since 1989. Australia was once the biggest user of asbestos in the world per capita. And we know how deadly asbestosis is to those who are contaminated. Well, there's a major asbestos scare occurring in Sydney this month with seven Sydney schools being tested for asbestos by the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority. This follows an ongoing battle against the dangerous material that is feared to have spread across the city through mulch. David Moore is a professional director and principal landscape architect with extensive knowledge in the field of design, urban placemaking and revitalisation. He knows the mulch game very well indeed and can explain for us how this crisis came into being and how we can quickly remove it. David Moore, welcome to TNT. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Now, the first sign that we had an asbestos outbreak or a crisis or a uh, material that wasn't detected came at the Roselle Interchange, which was a a brand new spaghetti kind of roadway network, uh, but had on it a number of um, shrubbery and vegetational uh, planes, which had to be widely mulched. And for the last week or so, we've had people in very, very uh, white suits, almost similar to COVID-19, trying to work out exactly how much uh, asbestos is there. That's how this thing started, and it goes back to one particular mulch distributor, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Are you able to describe for us how mulch is made and how is it possible that, uh, you know, something like asbestos can be part of a product like that? Well, I, I think... Um... I think the first thing there is there's all different kinds of mulch and the mulch that's been um, been used in this situation is is a recycled mulch. So it's what it's made out of is basically chipped pallets primarily. And so whereas there's other types of mulch which might come from clearing forest and, and breaking that down or the timber industry and and they're sort of all organic mulches, but you do get this mulch material that comes as a recycled product. It's generally a cheaper product as well because of, of that origin. So, so is it possible the asbestos was part of the pallets originally, or is it possible that where one of these sites is, where they formulate this mulch, that that site was uh, contaminated by asbestos before it was used for what it's used for now? So it wouldn't have been part of the pallets, the uh, the mulch, or the sorry, the asbestos. What there's probably two um, two situations that could occur with this. One of them is actually there being, um, you know, asbestos already on the site, and you've got a lot of machinery pushing around material, and that can unearth that 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 existing contaminant that's there. Mm-hmm. The other thing, if they're recycling other building waste on the site. 
then there's a risk there too if they're not separated properly or they're using the same machinery or those sorts of things where you can get that cross-contamination of material. And, and it's probably most likely one of those situations. And right. it might be, the, yeah, sorry. The, comp the company's saying that they test this a lot, but testing is very expensive. It's very time-consuming. I would doubt that they test every day. Yeah, look, um, the testing too is on something like that is visual. So uh, it's not a matter of getting it and taking it to a lab and, and breaking it down. It's all visual basically and looking right. to see if there's any other material in what should only be organic. And it won't be that you'll get really good mulch with a few bits of asbestos in it. What you'll get is pretty average looking mulch with other bits of rock and timber and that it won't in other building bits it won't actually building waste it won't actually you can see generally pretty quickly if there's contaminate in in a mulch okay so what about the cleanup here um they're they're, lo they're locating places and 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 venues where this mulch is existing that's not the hard bit the hard bit is to take it away and if it costs anything like asbestos being removed from old homes it'll be costly indeed won't it absolutely like the the cleanup because it's not like picking individual bits there's no magnets going to pull out all the asbestos you're really replacing all of that material and generally your mulch in a project too is one of the last things to go down so you've already done all this other work and uh, the risk of damaging all that other work at the same time of attempting to remove this is is phenomenal it's a bit of a nightmare situation really on any project to have a contaminant found in in something like mulch where you're dispersing it over massive areas and why are we finding so many schools with the potentially contaminated mulch? Look, I think it, it, without, you know, it's a lot of things influencing the the um, what products get selected, but generally it's probably a cost thing as much as anything because the recycled mulch is probably your cheapest form of mulch. Right. Um, whereas a forest and those kinds of mulch are, are generally more expensive. Now, as a way, you know, this is something that as the Australian Institute of Landscape uh, architects are advocating for is is more appropriate selection of, of mulch. You know, for, for schools, we should only be really using organic mulch material and not and not recycled because of these risks. So anywhere, playgrounds, those sorts of things where kids are likely to come into contact or people are really going to get their hands into that sort of material. Um, we shouldn't be using um, recycled mulch that doesn't have a really clear pathway of provenance that can be inspected by that landscape architect prior to it being installed. Well, I know you get what you pay for, but even if you're buying a low-grade mulch, you wouldn't have expected asbestos to be part of the deal? Absolutely. And and I think that even from that perspective, the, that shouldn't be the case and there's probably depending on the inspection regime. And I think this is the thing the EPA is looking at at the moment and the adequacy of that process is around the certification of that material. And, and you know, is it happening just at that site or how many hands is it going through between that site and also its destination? So they're the things that are really critical about getting that record. Uh, very well explained. Now we understand completely. Thank you so much for your time, David. You're welcome, Chris, anytime.
Thank okay, you. David Moyer, Professional Director and Principal, Landscape Architect. So it's good to have him on so that people can understand what's going on. It's not just something that's affected Australia, it's affected Western worlds everywhere and beyond the West because it's such a, uh, a disease-ridden commodity and it's impacted so many. What was it, 100 million in America um, uh, already? 100 million. And that doesn't take into consideration the amount of asbestos that has to be removed that exists now in buildings around the world. Plenty of that is still uh, existing. Um, I want to get to Mark Latham now. Mark, for those who don't know, former Liverpool mayor in Sydney, former advisor to a prime minister and a premier in New South Wales, former federal Labor opposition leader, now independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament. Mark Latham, MLC, welcome to the program. No, we're getting him online now, I think. Mark Latham, are you with me? He's not with me. Yeah, yeah I'm here. There he is. Mark Latham, yeah. welcome to TNT. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Good on you, mate. This asbestos crisis in Sydney involving dodgy mulch um, has been detected in seven sites. Some schools are closed today. Uh, one of the sites where the mulch company operates had an asbestos problem identified. And what David Moyer, uh, one of the experts on this uh, in this space, suggested that that was the likely scenario. Um, Someone's not telling the truth here, and maybe this is a major lesson for schools, the education department, the government about purchasing uh, higher quality mulch for their schools. Well, I don't think anyone purchasing any kind of mulch would think there'd be loose asbestos in there. I mean, there's a responsibility <laughs> for the companies who've sold this product to make sure it's safe, and if it's not safe, then maybe they've broken some kind of law. We'll have to wait and see. Um, no one whether you're putting mulch in your home garden or at a school or at an industrial site or anywhere, you know, there's mulch all over Sydney and indeed the, the, the country. It's a very common product now as people go about putting together new gardens. Uh, we've had the problem in the inner city at playgrounds where it was first detected uh, near Balmain. So um, you'd have to think the company has a, a responsibility, an obvious responsibility to sell a safe product, but at the same time, you know, the company will make their defence. Um, they'll be testing of this material to see uh, how safe or unsafe it has been. But, you know, there's certainly no parent who'd want their kid playing in this stuff at a playground or at a school or in your backyard. So there's an obvious concern. On the flip side, you know, I can point to the fact that uh, I grew up in Green Valley where they were building fibro homes and when the frame went up, we were always playing with uh, uh, yeah. asbestos that was cut up. So... You know, you can get a bit of hysteria in these uh, debates, but um, it's certainly better to be on the safe side. And the EPA in New South Wales, Environmental Protection Authority, is now investigating this. The company has a responsibility to uh, rectify any problem. They'd have to take all the mulch out and put a safe product in and uh, possibly uh, face the weight of law if they've done something that's, um, that's illegal. Mm. It's a terrible issue and terrible to clean up and cost a hell of a lot of money and someone's um, about to have to fork out for all of that, I would well, have thought. Let's talk. Is if you're doing a mulch company or anything else where it's a common product, don't have asbestos in there. As I yeah. say, there can be some exaggeration about the uh, safety issues, but, um, you know, after the different industrial type, industrial dust issues that have uh, been around, nobody wants to take a risk with asbestos and you can't blame them. Yeah, very, very true. Asylum seeker doors are back open. 
for landing in Australia, it seems. 39 asylum seekers arrived off the coast of WA over the weekend, ended up uh, in an Aboriginal camp, apparently, uh, in semi-arid, semi-arid uh, territory. These are uh, apparently multiple leaky boats involved. Um, no doubt this is the result, would you think, uh, of the decision by the High Court to demand of the government to uh, allow those permanently, de de you know, detended uh, illegal entrants to be released. Is that, do you think, the catalyst for the people smugglers getting back into business? Uh, it's one of three, I think. That's certainly a, an issue, the High Court decision, which was dreadful. And the second factor is that, if given an opportunity, the people smugglers were always going to test the Labor government, weren't they, given the, the record of the Rudd and Gillard government previously, yeah. where the boats uh, flowed freely and the people smugglers made a lot of money. So they're always going to test it if the opportunity arose. And I think the third factor is Albanese's decision to abolish the temporary protection visa. Yeah. What is a temporary protection visa? Well, when refugees go to a country and claim asylum, it doesn't, we're not talking about a permanent right of residence. They're seeking protection from persecution, um, violence, uh, other problems in their home country. And the temporary protection visa, man, well, you can have that protection, but if your home country rectifies its problems and it's safe for you to go back, you will. So mm. your protection in Australia would only be temporary. And that was an important pillar of the Abbott, uh, Turnbull and Morrison government's border protection policy that Albanese abolished. So if people are coming here and thinking, oh, well, it's not temporary anymore, I can, I can be permanent, well, all the more incentive, of course, for the people smugglers to try it on and to sail their boats, and, and, and that's what we've seen. Do you think that if we see an armada, as has been described by the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, do you think this could uh, have a major impact on the next election? Oh, no doubt. But, you know, let's also put it in perspective. One boat is not an armada, no. um, but one boat is a worry. Uh, others may well flow. So we have to wait and see what happens. But um, the former government had a near impeccable record on this. It was a major achievement of the Tony Abbott government to stop the boats. He, he, he mm. promised that, and they achieved it when uh, the, the, a lot of people were very sceptical about could it be achieved in a short space of time. Uh, and now the arrival of this new boat is a worry. Uh, the fact that it got through would give people smugglers encouragement going forward. The fact that the temporary protection visas no longer exist is a further incentive, and that dreadful High Court decision adds to the problem. So, yeah, we've got a new scenario now. Nobody likes this. It would be a major failing of the Albanese government, yeah, and a black mark against them at next election time. A lot of people have been asking, how the hell don't they cite these people? Well, as Peter Dutton said this morning on Channel 9, and I'll play you a grab shortly, but the circumstances have changed. You've mentioned a couple of circumstances. That is the High Court decision, um, the, you know, the taking away of temporary protection visas. But he also points to the money taken out of sovereign borders. Here's opposition leader Peter Dutton on nine today. Firstly, they've abolished the temporary protection visas. Secondly, they've reduced the amount of surveillance that's underway uh, right across the northwest coast. And that is a very important element of uh, the success of Operation Sovereign Borders. That there are three elements of Sovereign Borders, Carl, turning back boats where it's safe to do so, offshore detention and temporary protection visas. So they've pulled one of the legs out with TPVs and they're sending bad messages. So, as I say, we've got to realise that the people smugglers are sophisticated. They, they, they monitor every word the Prime Minister says, the, 
the Minister for Home Affairs says, and if they see a vulnerability, they, they pitch that and they pitch it to the people who are willing to pay money. And unfortunately, uh, it starts then to get momentum and we need to make sure that doesn't happen. And they've also ripped $600 million out of the program, which is why they haven't got the proper surveillance arrangements in place. That last point is quite crucial when you're trying to work out how easy it was for these 39 to get onto terra firma. Yeah, you can't turn votes around if you can't find them. Yeah, and running yes. down the program is a problem. You know, those waters to the north and northwest of Australia are absolutely vast. So the surveillance needs to be a well-funded, well-resourced effort, no doubt about it. But, you know, Chris, I look at this and go back to when I had big arguments inside the Federal Labor Party with Albanese, who was always, always soft on refugees, always soft on the boat people and the, and the people smuggling. He, he thought it was completely inhumane to turn around boats, and he argued that year in, year out at Labor Party conferences. He's abolished the temporary protection visas, and at a time when he was aligned with Carmen Lawrence there in the Labor Party left, he was against offshore detention. So in his heart of hearts, Albanese doesn't believe in any of the elements, any of those three pillars of sovereign borders that Peter Dutton was talking about. So if you've got a Prime Minister who's soft on this, it's not surprising they've, they've, they've cut the funding for the surveillance, and it's not surprising that one boat's come through and we probably can anticipate more. He, he said a couple of times today, oh, that this is being beat up by uh, political opportunism by the opposition. If he doesn't, if he's not careful here and the people smugglers get their act together and there are other boats on the way, this could be the, he could be the one-term wonder. Well, that's a possibility. It'd be a major failing. But, uh, you know, I, I had uh, slanging matches with Albanese where he'd say I was a Western Sydney racist because I didn't believe in uh, humanitarian policy of letting all the refugees in. Well, I said your major problem will be that people smugglers have uh, leaky substandard boats and people will drown. And a large number of, of people drowned under the former Labor government. And that's the, the, the main humanitarian impact. Uh, of those that uh, pay the people smugglers out of desperation, get on these uh, wretched boats and drown at sea. Women, children, you know, there's nothing humane in the boat people, people smuggler trade. Nothing, inhum nothing humane about it or compassionate about it at all. This has always been one of the great delusions of the left. And if they didn't learn that lesson from the tragedy of the uh, Rudd and Gillard government, when over a thousand people drowned on, on the oceans to the north of Australia. If they didn't learn that lesson about a thousand people, including women and children, drowning, well, they're very slow learners and they're bound to repeat that mistake. But that's because their ideology superseded the practicalities of the issue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Albanese from the left was always ideologically bound, almost fanatical, yeah. hysterical, about saying, if you don't believe in taking all the refugees, then you're some sort of barbarian, a racist, a bigot from Western Sydney. Well... You know, his own inner city electorate, I look up the figures once, a place like Fairfield took over 100 times the number of refugees Albanese did in the seat of Grain around Marrickville and inner Sydney. So it was a community that was never taking the refugees to settle them in houses, or let them in on the coast, they'd say. They all go to live in western Sydney, mainly Fairfield, and um, when they drowned, no big apology from people like Albanese who, who argued this faulty... Uh, policy at Labor Party conferences. No big apology, no contrition about it. Ideology paved the way for them to um, stick to their...
beliefs and I think over time, as Prime Minister, he'd be saying to himself, I've got the power now, I've got the chance to water down the policy and that's what he's been doing. Yeah, that is quite an insight. That is quite an insight. I've got to take a quick break. I'll be back in a second with you, Mark. Mark Latham on TNT. TNT. Sonia Poulton. You feel the need to describe yourself, along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio. Very entertaining. TNT. I've got Mark Latham with me, MLC, Independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament. Mark, a new small fleet of Australian naval battleships will apparently be the centrepiece of the government's upcoming reform as we prepare for possible Chinese aggression. It's all to be announced tomorrow, apparently. Is this the way forward? Well, it sounds a good strategy. We'll see what sort of resourcing and how many ships we're talking about. But, you know, by and large, Australia is a very difficult nation to attack because we're a big island continent a long way from major population centres like China. So a very difficult country to attack and invade. And the smart thing to do is to have strong naval protection in the waters to our north, northeast and northwest. So if that's the strategy, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a better strategy than putting our boats in the Red Sea on the other <laughs> side of the world. So yeah, that's what we true. need to do. If we're going to build up our, our, our defence capacity worried about China in the future, then the strategy that uh, has been foreshadowed is certainly the right one. I don't know whether I have any faith about what I'm hearing tomorrow. How many reports have we had, even in your time, how many reports were there related to defence? Well, there's one, you know, every other year, isn't there? A major review and yes. so forth. The major problem is Defence has got a monopoly on how they spend this money. Very often they don't spend it very well. They waste a huge amount of uh, money. We've seen that right. consistently with submarines in particular, but right through all the hardware. Um, so we'll see what the detail is. But an announcement is one thing. Effective spending of the Defence dollar is a very different thing. And for as long as I've been involved in politics or watching the federal scene, uh, the Defence Department hasn't been very good at efficiency. Yeah. All right. COVID school closures um, condemned by senior educators today, including the chair of the New South Wales Education Regulator, Peter Shergold, and the National Children's Commissioner, Anne Hollands. How many times was the government, the state governments in particular, yelled and screamed at by parents and the general community about getting kids remaining in school because they were not 
uh, so impacted by COVID-19, and yet they just had to control them and keep them at home. And these poor blighters, they, they lost a year of their schooling, Mark. Yeah, well, some uh, students um, uh, warmed to the home schooling. Uh, I remember my daughter saying, oh, there's no distractions. I haven't got any idiots in the class distracting me. I just get more work done and, and, and liaise with her um, cohort of bright friends. But by and large, uh, students who came from a low-income background didn't have access to the technology, didn't have a parent supervising them at home, were playing computer games instead of doing their schoolwork. They, yeah. they suffered a lot. The, the minority maybe went ahead. The majority went backwards. But the big thing out of that um, story in the Sydney Morning Herald and the so-called education experts, where were they at the time? Yes. Where were they at the time saying reopen the schools? And uh, I come back to something, um, uh, Dominic Perrottet, Treasurer and then Premier of New South Wales, part of the uh, COVID um, uh, inner cabinet that made these decisions. He's made the point that the main problem they had was that the evidence being presented to ministers was changing, but the policy settings weren't. And um, businesses were locked down too long, uh, people were locked in their homes too long, and schools, if they were closed, were closed for way too long. So mm. I think that was the main problem, that politicians worked out all these closures and lockdowns are popular in a perverse sort of way, and even though the evidence coming from the bureaucrats is changing, I'm not changing the policy. And Perrottet, to his credit, um, uh, lost uh, votes, I don't know, 30 times in a row at their inner cabinet, um, on the basis where he'd say, uh, if the policy, if the evidence has changed, we've got to change our policy, and that means reopening, reopening yeah. everything, businesses. Who, homes, who was it? Do schools. you think in cabinet that yelled the most? Was it Brad Hazard? Well, and Berejiklian held the ground, you know. But let's not just single out New South Wales. All those premiers thought lockdowns were popular. Dan Andrews, um, Mark McGowan in Western Australia was basically treating his state like a separate country, and he was the mm. dictator. And, and they locked down on the basis of, of polling and, 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 and political opportunism, and it stayed that way way too long. So I, I think that was the main problem. Um, there was a lot of worry about COVID initially. Let's not, you know, have any doubt about that. But I think once the um, uh, panic passed and the evidence was showing you could safely reopen uh, all aspects of society, governments were way too slow to reopen borders, yeah. the whole lot. And this yeah. is the point Perrottet has made, and I hope he makes a powerful submission to the National Inquiry into what happened with COVID, because uh, something new worries everyone, of course, and pictures of you know, body bags in New York and, 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 and people being thrown in, 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 in gullies in Italy, dead bodies. I mean, all of that worried everyone. But the panic really needed to pass a lot faster, and government needed to be a lot stronger, and that certainly applies to the, uh, the school closures. That's very fair assessment, I think. Great to have you on the program as usual, mate. We'll make sure that we uh, get your uh, part of your interview up and happening on social media, and we'll spread the word. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Much appreciated. Mark Latham, independent MP, MLC, as a matter of fact, in the upper house in the New South Wales Parliament. Just a couple of quick comments from various viewers, listeners in reference to this mulch problem and the asbestos that's found in this mulch. Jason writes from Tasmania, G'day, Chris. Let's not forget about the people who spread the mulch. This is a huge problem that now affects households. Yeah, someone has to spread it. It's not just those who play in it or come in contact with it. And Tony writes in our uh, chat box on TNTradio.live, he says, the cost of disposing of asbestos is 
too expensive, hence the issue of trying to hide it amongst the mulch. I don't know whether that's true. I think we'll probably find out the truth behind this because the Environmental Protection Authority are right on to the aspects of where this asbestos came from. And uh, I think we'll find out the truth in uh, a short uh, a short time. Talking about a short time, I've got to get to the newsroom. We've got to get some news for you. And then back after that, we're heading to Eastern Victoria and catching up with Renee Heath, MLC. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Time to read some news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Following months of fierce fighting on the front line in Ukraine, Russia has seized control of a key city in the Donetsk People's Republic. In a desperate effort to stay relevant, failed US presidential candidate Hillary Clinton appears to be trying to reignite her fight with Donald Trump. And the US ambassador to the UN says Washington will veto a Security Council resolution demanding an immediate ceasefire in Gaza because it doesn't suit the White House's agenda. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Good to have your company. Plenty more to come on the program. And don't forget, you can be part of the conversation. You don't need to wait until you're um, encouraged to jump on the talkback lines. You can do so. Doesn't matter whether we've got guests on or special guests or whatever. You can be part of the conversation and have your say. You can do so from the United States or Canada on one 201 6425 By all means, from the UK, where it's very early in the morning, 033-24-1026, or from Australia and New Zealand. The number's 1-800-670-310. Let's get to Victoria now. Representing the Liberal Party for Eastern Victoria is Renee Heath, MLC. Renee, thank you very much for coming onto the program once again. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me on once again. Listen, I was just looking at your one of your social media feeds yesterday or or last night uh, as I was getting ready for our uh, our chat today. You have been travelling and meeting a lot of people, I think, in Eastern Victoria after those storms hit a week or so ago. Um, what did you find? What did you see? Yeah, look, I have um, been out and about because last Tuesday's storm caused enormous damage. And I've been, you know, to a lot of different areas, but the most striking that I saw was really in Merby North, which I'm so- sure you would have read about, but there have been massive trees fallen, tree trunks literally just snapped in half. Cars and houses have been crushed by falling trees. There's one um, street that's in Merby North and roofs had literally been taken off the houses wow. from severe winds. Half of the house is knocked over. It's like it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And we stopped and spoke um, to just a few people that were, you know, at the front of their place cleaning up. And there was this one um, group that we stopped and spoke to. And there was a guy, Paul, and he had all these little black stoppers in his hands. And I said, what are they? And he said, we have been finding these little stoppers everywhere. And when they finally found out what it was, they were the stoppers out of the bottom of the chairs. So the winds were just so unbelievable. That particular house, a tree came down and knocked, crushed their car, knocked over um, another structure and crushed the roof over the top of their um, master bedroom, lost a veranda on the other side of houses. It's just unbelievable. Um. 
there was a lady, Leslie, who was cleaning up her front yard and it used to be very thick um, with dense trees and it was just all bare and knocked over and she said the estimated cost for her to clean it up is about 60 grand to fix the damage. And then yesterday in Emerald, that was so severely hit. There's a guy named Shane there who who is a local CFA volunteer. He showed me his deck, which he had oiled on Monday and it was completely crushed on the Tuesday. Oh, oh no. They had, yeah, he was salty about that, but they just had no idea that it was coming. Just absolutely unbelievable. So the main street of Emerald had been out for five days and some homes are still without power. But I have to say the community spirit is just amazing. You know, people are just pitching in everywhere. Um, one man and his wife had, was so hard hit that they had about eight guys come over with chainsaws to come help them out. And there's oh. just stories like that everywhere. Yeah. Um, so one thing about Australia is when there is a disaster, everybody just pitches in to help. But there's Especially a in of- the bush, especially in the bush. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was just, there was, I would say, a bit of a buzz because people are just running on adrenaline. What I'm concerned about is when that exhaustion starts to set in and mm. maybe the shock wears off and people are really left thinking, wow, this has been a disaster. Mm. But um. I think on another note, the government is offering payments for those who have been without power for a week. So uh, if you've been without power, it's a, it's $1,920 per week that you're without power for up to three weeks. That's good. But residents have also told me, particularly in the Emerald area, they've said, you know, what if, um, so the cutoff is 10 a.m. tomorrow, if the power comes back up, up on 9am tomorrow, they are going to be without anything and they really do need some financial help. And then businesses are eligible for a payment of um, $2,900 and businesses have said to me, look, with the lost time, with the damage to our building, it won't even scratch the surface. So I think communities are really hurting. So if you know anyone that's affected, make sure you check in on them because people are facing so much stress and uncertainty a lot of people are feeling isolated and distressed. Um, some people were even saying because of the amount of trees, they couldn't even get out of their property for, you know, a day or two. And I'm sure there's many stories I don't know. Yeah. So it's times like this you really need your mates. So just make sure you check in on people. And, and if you are isolated and not with power, it can be so, it's an incredible feeling of helplessness, isn't it? Oh, I'd imagine so. And that's what a lot of people were just saying, like the strangest feeling. There was no telecommunication, so there was no ability to call triple zero. There was one guy I spoke to um, yesterday around Emerald. Uh, I can't remember exactly where I was, but he was saying to me that he was, they actually had to call triple zero to eventually get out of their house because there was no other service available. So when the SOS came back on, he was able to call to say, look, we're stuck in here and then get in contact with some people to get them out. So it's it's been a real disaster. Yeah, a true mm. a true sense of the word. You know, yes. there was a lot of commentary, uh, and I think we touched on this last week, a lot of commentary about certain, you know, serious rain events and serious wind events as being the result of climate change. And these huge storms uh, last week on Tuesday 
there was a lot of coverage, especially on ABC radio regionally and also in town, according to reports, about, you know, all the power outages and how it was disastrous. And this is what we're going to have to put up with under a climate change impacted um, uh, world. I, I get the feeling, though, Renee, that governments in particular are using climate change as their latest scapegoat. I think so too, and it's a very convenient one because when you consider the Minister Minister for Energy and Resources, Lily D'Ambrosio, said the government can't control the weather and that this was a result of climate change, it's clear that it's the easiest excuse for the government to fall back on yeah. instead of facing the reality of how Victoria's weak energy system or energy network is failing us. So we really should have the ability to withstand a storm without half a million homes and businesses being cut off from power. Mm. And this is the kind of fallout that you would expect to see in a third world country, not in the world's most livable city and True. in a state like Victoria. Mm. So the fact that six transmission towers went down because of extreme winds revealed that our infrastructure isn't up to standard. And this was discovered in 2020 by a report by Energy Safe Victoria which has since been deleted from the government's website. So along with towers, transmissions, transmission lines were also going down during the storm. And the government is saying it's too expensive to upgrade ageing substandard transmission infrastructure. But we have seen the government spend billions of dollars subsidising renewable, yeah. renewables. And this is money that could have been better spent upgrading our transmission infrastructure. We also saw um, cuts to 90,000 homes. because They were forced to have their power cut off because of load shed. So this shows how hope, hopeless oh. and how inadequate our energy supply just, is. Just explain the load, load shed. For, for those who don't know, this, this is a result of what happens when you demonise your coal-fired power stations and your gas-fired power stations and even blow up your coal-fired power stations. Um, that you therefore have to share the wear in a crisis. Is it, just explain to us how load shedding works. Well, that's correct. And I remember when I was staying in South Africa, you know, 20 years ago, and this was something that was going on there because there just wasn't enough power. So mm. there just isn't enough power. And we still have the luxury of Loyang coal-fired power station providing one-third of the state's electricity. Yeah. So imagine what happens when Labor shuts this down in 2030 and the state is entirely dependent on renewables, um, an energy source that is even more vulnerable to yeah. weather. So yes. what's going to happen with the next storm? So we, the other little luxury some Victorians had during the, the, during the storm was gas. And this allowed some people to at least cook their meals and to have a hot shower. But Labor has banned gas connections in new homes from this year. So, yeah, we've got a shortage of power, even though we are standing on top of one of the most rich, we're one of the most rich areas, Victoria, and particularly the eastern region in natural resources, yet we've got an energy crisis. It's ridiculous. So no coal, no gas, and, and an no, age. and no one can actually guarantee to you and I, Renee, today. Doesn't matter how scientifically, you know, renowned they are, they cannot guarantee that renewables will keep the lights on. 
Well, I, yeah, exactly right. And even when you speak to the people, you know, that are there doing the presentations about renewables, when you go up to them afterwards, they they tend to share our concern, I think. So we've, we're going to have extreme, you know, another extreme weather event. Um, yes. We are very prone to that here in Victoria. Correct. And I worry that this is going to bring Victorians to their knees and it's yeah. completely unacceptable. We are facing an energy crisis in this state. Without doubt. And Labor is plunging us deeper into these sorts of disasters through but neglect. You know, but, you know, I spoke, I spoke with a, an economist that comes onto the program quite regularly by the name of Dr Alan Moran. He said to me last week, he said, you know, this has got to happen, Chris, for the public to realise how short we're going to be of power and what the future, you know, what the future lies for us. He says that people are going to have to hurt. They're going to have to live in a third world, a continually third world uh, scenario, environment, where they don't have power for long periods of time or where load shedding, just so that they understand that the BS is exactly what we thought it was. Well, that's very true. And it was amazing the because I spoke to a lot of people and a lot of people just joked with me and said, oh, at least we have gas still. And I thought, wow, that's actually full, like, that's actually on the forefront of people's minds at the moment. And the people that only had electric stoves, um, only had electric appliances, had absolutely nothing. So the, we have to have energy diversity yeah. or, or we just cannot you know, it's really going to be a huge threat to our standard of life here in Australia. Sure will. It'll be a threat to our standard of life. You're exactly right. And mm. we don't understand how serious it is. I've got to yeah. take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about woke text for school leavers. And uh, also, I want to get into a little bit of Tay-Tay fever, Renee, which I <laughs> hope you can help me with. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Renee Heath right after this on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the latest in the Michael Mann versus Mark Stein trial is a little bit interesting, and I'm trying to figure out if this is right. Apparently, Dr. Mann's lawyers, there are four of them, and remember, Mark Stein is defending himself by himself. Apparently, they've asked for a nominal fee as far as damages go, and there is a rumor that what was asked for, now sit down, you ready for this? was $1. Now, Mark Stein has spent around $3.5 million, I've heard. I don't know, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Defending himself from Michael Mann and Michael Mann's lawsuit over the fact that Mark Stein thinks that Michael Mann hid the data and he called him a fraud, right? Now, I could see, for instance, let's say uh, the number one climatologist in the world said that to you. That's one thing. But Mark Stein is a journalist. That's the first thing. Second thing is he had to raise the money to defend himself. And we've gone over this. But $1? Why would Michael Mann only want $1? You know why? He just wants the decision. He just wants to be able to say, see, he actually did defame me. I won the court case. Well, I don't think Stein wants any part of that because of the fact that he wants to drill it home that what Michael Mann did, take two samples out of 22 and then hide, he did. He hit the data from people who would criticize it and actually tear it apart. Mark Stein wants that to come out. One's pursuing the truth, the other seems to be hiding it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. You ever heard of a polyp? 
Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? The voice of a changing world, Chris Smith, on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It is today's News Talk Radio. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's going very quick. We're only got about 10 minutes left. Um, I do want to make mention of Lozzie's comment on our chat box, which you can partake in on tntradio.live. Lozzie says, and this is in reference to getting rid of gas and getting rid of coal and making sure that we all go renewables for baseload power, which I'm just here to tell you hasn't been done anywhere in the world. Um, Lozzie says governments want a total control of the people. They want us dependent on, on them. Well, in the case of Victorians, um, I don't know what they'll be dependent on, um, but certainly that's exactly right. Thank you very much for your comments. I appreciate it. Uh, Renee Heath, let me talk about school leavers in Victoria. More than half of the VCE English texts promote radical identity politics. Teachers are given little choice but to select the woke texts. That's how it works. The Institute of Public Affairs report that um, published these findings today shows that the rise of Western civilization is off the learning list. How dare we praise how far we've come in such a short space of time? And toxic masculinity which I guess I've got to be guilty of, is a prime part of the study curriculum. It's all gone nuts, Renee. It is, and it is disgraceful indoctrination. And we're seeing more and more evidence of ideology taking over education and students being turned into activists. And Victoria is lagging behind on educational outcomes. So we certainly do not have the luxury of experiments like this. And it's almost criminal that in our civilization, when we have no shortage of quality rich literature, we are seeing classics replaced with ideological texts uh -huh. promoting ideas like this. So there's two things that worry me about this. The first is I feel sorry for our humanities teachers. This is a noble vocation and one that has become politicised from the top down. Yeah. And we're seeing they're the ones at the front line dealing with the fallout of the introduction of divisive and inflammatory beliefs in our classroom. And the other, per the other group that I'm concerned for is our young men. Girls outperform boys in the classroom. So boys are already at a disadvantage and they're being increasingly demonised simply because of their gender. Mm. It's collective guilt that condemns people for the faults of few and I think it's really cruel. A Victorian teacher anonymously came forward last year and told the media that the curriculum and text list for 2024 didn't include a single positive piece about being male. So we are failing young men and we are failing our VCE students. This is the highest level of secondary education and we are depriving students of rich literature and we're feeding them with ideological rubbish. And um, on the school system this morning, I was lucky enough to go to Churchill Primary School 
which I've been wanting to go out and visit them for a long time now. They're an incredible primary school. And I've got some of the details here, but in their NAPLAN scores in 2018, it's quite a disadvantaged area. And they had 17% of students within the top two bands of NAPLAN. What they did is they scrapped everything. They went and they studied um, different schools. There's one in Bentley West, which is a very affluent area, who would return just to evidence-based teaching practices. And they thought, well, is this because the kids there aren't at a disadvantage? So they took what they learned from there. They went over to WA and they um, went to some other schools that were having good outcomes. They came and they implemented just science-based um, techniques and the school has turned around and then NAPLAN 2021, so three years later, 75% were in the top three bands. Wow. 75%. So, so from 17 to 75? 17 to 75, and the bottom um, the bottom levels were even more interesting. 31, so the original in 2018, 31% of the students were in the bottom two levels, and then the, when they re, you know, when they um, came back in 2021, none of them were. So from 31% in the bottom two levels to zero. Brilliant. So this just goes to show that the biggest disadvantage is not where you live, it's how teachers are teaching. Yeah. So this rubbish about all this ideological te- text demonising men, it has to go. It is, it's wrong because, you know, nobody is evil because of their gender. Nah. That is absolute rubbish. And we've got to stop demonising men so they can also have the best chance at life. And I just think, you know, schools like Churchill Primary that have been brave enough to think, hang on, we're going to go with what the science says. They are just having the most amazing outcomes for their kids, and I hope we see much more of it. That's a great story, and what a lesson uh, for any principal in Australia who might have a, a degree of independence to go and do their own due diligence on the better schools and start recrafting and reforming what their teachers teach. Exactly right, and they've just got a great system that the um, – the teachers all go and do the training together and then there's a qualified teacher who stepped out of the classroom and she goes and she observes the teachers and she coaches them in how to do it better in line with evidence-based practice. And right. I tell you what, the, the results are outstand, outstanding for what people say are the most disadvantaged children. So I just think it's absolutely wonderful. It is absolutely awesome. wonderful. Yeah, just can I quickly digress? I was talking to Mark Latham earlier about the asylum seeker door being opened again and 39 coming into WA over the weekend. Pauline Hansen has had something to say about that. Pauline has put on a post on X. Due to Labor's weakness and incompetence, people smugglers are back in business. We now know that over 40 illegal arrivals, believed to be from Pakistan, Bangladesh and India, landed in Australia last week. The other point about those countries, and we didn't mention this with Mark Latham, and I've got to mention with you, Renee, the countries Pakistan, Bangladesh and India, um, these are three countries that hardly have, you know, wars going on in their backyard. It's not like as if the people there are roundly persecuted and need some kind of protection and asylum. These are economic opportunists, uh, clearly. That actually is very interesting because I was listening to ABC radio um, as I was just driving before 
And there was a Labor spokesman that was saying this is happening because of wars in the world. People are fleeing and coming to Australia. And the point you have just made is an extremely good one. You know, yeah. There's no war in India. There's no No, war in Pakistan. Not that I know of. (laughs) Unless I didn't catch up on the news. Now, listen, I I really want to get you to give us a a taste of Tay-Tay fever, Taylor Swift. Um, she said, Melbourne, you are the love of my life. Oh, she says that everywhere she goes, doesn't she? <laughs> oh, look, why wouldn't Melbourne be the love of her life? Oh, I come knew- on. <laughs> I knew she was a big deal, but I did not know there were so many Swifties out there. It's so unbelievable. Melbourne- yeah, Melbourne has become the Taylor Swift capital of the world. It's um, It's good. So... It's good for everyone, though. I spoke to a business owner that owns a convenience store in Melbourne, and he said, this week has been off the charts. He said, I've never had such a busy week in my life. So we've experienced a lot of humiliation with the loss of the Commonwealth Games. Um, So it's good to see our our city come alive again. And all I can say is thank goodness the power didn't get cut to the MCG. Well, I was about to I was, I was about to ask you. That was my next question. I was about to ask you, did she have any power problems at all? Thank goodness oh, no way. Eh? Well, I certainly hope not. I think the energy in that room could have powered the whole thing, though. <laughs> Very much so. Hey, good to have you on the program once again. Um, great story about that Churchill School. Uh, wonderful story. You tell some really nice stories and There's a a wonderful lesson in that for principals right around Australia because, in particular, we've got to do something about stopping boys falling through the cracks. You know, you make a very good point. Great to have you on. Thank you so much, and thanks for for having me once again. No problem, Renee. Thank you very much for that, Renee Heath, MLC, and uh, representing the Liberal Party in eastern Victoria. Great story. You know, you, you sit back and you think to yourself, well, education departments right around the world are being influenced and bent um, by far left woke extremists that seem to have the upper hand at the moment. But when you find out that principals can um, make it a prerogative to look at the best um, the best ways of teaching and go around physically and check them out to try and uh, reform what's going on at their own schools. I think that's a wonderful initiative. And it's, and you've got to show initiative. Um, that's what the the Churchill principal did. It's a fa- fantastic story. Just quickly, talking about uh, stories, uh, this comes um, from Jim Hoft, one of my colleagues here at TNT. Um, but he was uh, looking at some figures which he's published via... Um, the Gateway Pundit, which you know very well. And he talks about the United States seeing the largest population increase in history last year. And of course, we know why. Um, He's got all the facts and figures out, which he's published in the Gateway Pundit and showed that it's because of the number of illegal immigrants that have come into uh, the country. So he's got a graph here, which I'll try and explain to you. The largest one-year population increase in US history, which was 2023, um, so 3.8 million people in 2023. Uh, the next largest was in 1993, which was 3.5 million. Um, and then the next largest was 2002 with around about 
one million. But it's a really terrific story. And he goes through and just gets all the statistics and explains exactly why there's been such a population explosion. It's got nothing at all to do with anything but the illegal immigrants that have been allowed to walk straight over the border. And if that is the way to make America strong and economically viable, well, I missed that economics lesson when I was at school because there's no way that uh, Freddie Freeloaders taking American jobs is good for American residents and citizens. I've got to get out of here. Dean Macken is up next. We'll be back to do it again at the same time tomorrow. I hope you can join me. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.